Um, I had a look at some websites for the universities this week. Uh, the University of New South Wales asked me, how will you change the world? And Sydney Uni told me to be part of something world-changing. So, what's your mission? Uh, how are you going to change the world? Uh, those of you who are young workers probably feel like that's something to work out later. First, you've got to get some financial stability, uh, maybe a house, maybe a wife or a husband. Once you've sorted those things out, then you can think about the long term. Uh, for those of you who've got young children, like me, I suspect your time frames are quite short. Maybe your mission for the day is to get the house clean, your mission for the week is to get the washing done, and your mission in life is to get the kids sleeping through the night. Or maybe you've got older kids. Uh, maybe your mission is to get your older kids into the best kind of school and the best university. Uh, or maybe you're single and you don't want to be. Uh, maybe your goal is to find a wife or a husband. Uh, for the older folks among us, what's your mission in life? Maybe you've learnt that uh, dreaming about missions is a good way to get nothing done. Maybe you feel like you've already achieved what you want to in life. Or maybe you feel like it's too late for that kind of thing. See, good or bad, most of us are aiming for something, aren't we? But we don't often think about the long term. Well, whatever stage of life you're at this morning... Uh, take a moment to think about the big picture. Uh, what have you achieved with your life? What do you want to achieve? What kind of person have you been in the past? What kind of person do you want to be? Because in our passage this morning, Jesus has a mission for us. He wants us to think about how we can change the world. But it's less about the things we achieve and more about who we are. Now, before we dive in, uh, let me remind you where we've come from. Uh, if you weren't here last week, as Mike said, we started a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous words uh, in Matthew's Gospel. And last week, uh, Jesus began his sermon by saying that the people in this world who are truly blessed are not the rich or the famous or the outwardly religious. Instead, he said... It's the spiritually bankrupt. It's the people who belong to Jesus and suffer for his name. And now, in our passage this morning, Jesus is giving his followers a mission, a way for them to impact the world. Let's have a look, starting with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, personally, I love salt. Uh, we get a lot of health warnings about having too much salt in our food, and too much is bad for you. But it's just so tasty, isn't it? Uh, everything tastes better with salt. We put it in our soups and our sauces. We put it on our meat and veggies. You can even put it on ice cream. Salted caramel ice cream is delicious. See, just a tiny bit of salt mixed in can change the flavour from bland to delicious. It's magic powder, especially if your cooking skills are like mine. But what does it mean for Jesus to call his followers the salt of the earth? Well, there's a few different options because salt has many uses. 
Uh, one, one commentator suggests 11 different options. I'm not going to go through them all. We're just going to look at two. Uh, the first and most obvious one is that salt improves flavor and taste. So is Jesus saying that his followers are the flavor of the earth? Maybe he's saying that the earth has lost its flavor and spice and our presence is meant to help restore it. Maybe our mission is to improve the flavor of the world. Well, another option is the use of salt as a preservative. Now, we don't think about this much because we've got fridges and freezers. But for most of human history, these haven't existed. And instead, people use salt to preserve their food. Uh, Salt actually stops bacteria growing and food decaying. Uh, So if you wanted your meat or your fish to last more than a day, you used lots of salt to preserve it. So maybe Jesus is saying that his followers are the preservative of the earth. Maybe he's saying that the earth is in moral decay and our presence is meant to help stop, uh, stop that decay. Just like salt preserves food and stops it going off, maybe that's our mission, uh, to influence those around us in the same way. So which is it? Well, actually, I don't think it matters. You see, the main point is that salt has a positive effect on food and other stuff. But this only works if the salt is salty, right? If salt becomes diluted in too much water or mixed with too much dust, then it loses its saltiness. It's useless. It won't flavor or preserve. You throw it outside. It's good for nothing. And so what does that mean for Jesus' followers? Jesus is saying that his followers are meant to live distinctive and different lives and be a positive influence on others. And there's a warning, isn't there? If our lives are no different, if we've lost our saltiness, then we're good for nothing. And so that leaves us with a question for ourselves. Do we live differently to those around us who don't know Jesus? Is there a difference in the way we relate to others at work, under pressure? Is there a difference in the way we relate to our family and our friends? Do we have a positive impact? Or you could think about it this way. If tomorrow the government said it was illegal to be Christian, would there be any evidence to convict you? Because our mission, Jesus says, is to be like salt, to be living distinctive and different lives, to have a positive influence on others. But that's not all. Jesus has another image for us, making the same point. Verse 14, You are the light of the world, he says. Now this image of being light shining to the world reminds us of Matthew chapter 4 where Matthew described the beginning of Jesus' ministry in this way. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Notice two things here. Firstly, Jesus is the great light. Uh, He is the great light that has come into the world. But secondly, notice the world needs light because it's in darkness. 
And this darkness is a shadow of death. Now, I reckon that wasn't too hard for Jesus' followers to believe. Israel was a land occupied by an enemy force. They were poor and oppressed. There were no modern technologies or comforts or medicine. Life was hard. It felt like the world was in darkness. But we live in better times, surely. A time of prosperity and safety and knowledge. Uh, I can pick up my phone and get instant access to Wikipedia. I can read about the history of our world, how we've come through the Dark Ages. Uh, We've come through the Age of Enlightenment and the Scientific Revolution. We've survived two world wars. Life is much better now, isn't it? But Jesus is talking about spiritual light and darkness. You see, all of our knowledge and modern technology doesn't help us in the face of death. We're still living in the shadow of death because our world has turned its back on God. Uh, Think about that for a moment. Uh, Yesterday was a beautiful sunny day, wasn't it? Uh, Blue sky, bright sun, warm for a few hours. And yet, despite appearances, uh, our world is in the shadow of death and living in darkness. Uh, Your colleagues at work, whom you laugh and joke with, living in darkness under the shadow of death. Your friends and family who don't know Jesus, living in darkness under the shadow of death. And so for people in darkness, who will show them the light? Well, Jesus is passing his mission as the great light of the world onto his followers. And that means their light needs to be visible. Now look at verse 14 again. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Has anyone ever seen a city on a hill? Uh, I haven't, uh, but I grew up in New Zealand, and we used to live in a valley. It was a big valley near Wellington with uh, hills either side. Uh, Proper hills, not the little ones that you have here in Sydney. And some of these hills had houses up the top, high up. And at night, when the lights were on, uh, the houses would light up and you could see them shining from miles away. uh, Sprinkles of light on the hillside. Jesus is saying, imagine an entire city built on a hill. A city like Jerusalem. And at night, the lights in the city are visible for hundreds of kilometers around. It's impossible to miss it. Or, he says, imagine a lamp inside a house. You don't turn on a lamp at night and then put it in the kitchen cupboard. You put it somewhere high and visible so that it can light the house and remove the darkness. And in the same way, Jesus is saying that his followers are meant to be visible to the world, impossible to miss shining like lights in the darkness, like a city on a hill. You see, you can't be a private Christian. I mean, it's tempting sometimes. When you read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you quickly realize that the main problem is other people. If only I could get away from all the annoying people in my life, of course I would be patient and kind and forgiving. But the, so the idea of a private community sounds tempting sometimes. 
But Jesus is saying that his followers have a mission to impact the world, not hide away from it. He's saying that our light needs to shine because the world is in darkness. Well, uh, what kind of light does Jesus have in mind exactly? What will it look like for us to shine? Is he saying that our church buildings should be beautiful works of art, huge cathedrals that shine brightly and draw people to God by their beauty? Uh, If that's the case, I think we've failed here at St. Andrews. Uh, Maybe instead of buying more seats, we should be fundraising for a nicer building that will uh, be more attractive and draw people in. Or is Jesus talking about uh, signs and billboards? Does he want us to broadcast the Christian message? Is that what it means to shine? We're right next to the motorway. We could put up a big neon billboard, 24 hours, flashing out. Jesus is the light. Is that the kind of light that Jesus is talking about? Or is he talking about political movements? Maybe all the Christians in Sydney should unite together as one party. We could be the salt and light independents. Now, voting is a good thing, uh, and caring about social policies is good, but I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at either. You see, it's not about church buildings or signs or political parties. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is talking about the life of individual Christians, like you and me. He's saying that our lives should be so full of good works that they'll shine in a dark world. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, as we look at it, is going to explain what this looks like. Uh, Jesus will tell us that letting our light shine means being gentle and patient. It means forgiving others. It means being pure in our words and actions. It means being generous with our time and money. It means being kind to those who mock us. And it means not drawing attention to our own good works, but quietly doing good and loving others. It will involve speaking the gospel, but the main thing is living lives which embody the gospel and the good news. Friends, this is the kind of salt and light that Jesus wants our lives to be filled with. Uh, This is the mission that Jesus has for us to impact the world. To do good in such a way that people see the light of Christ in our lives and are drawn to him. So if that's the mission, uh, we need to look at the transformation. Uh, Secondly, because we need to remember how this story ends, don't we? Think about the disciples uh, listening to Jesus speak. He's up on the mountain sitting there. They are sitting at his feet. And these guys are a ragtag collection. Uh, You've got Simon and Andrew, uneducated fishermen. You've got Matthew, a corrupt tax collector. They're from a backwater town in the Middle East. These guys haven't got much to offer. I'm sure when Jesus said, blessed are the poor, they said, amen. But then Jesus says, guess what? You guys are the light of the world. I think at that point, they thought he was a little bit crazy. But they went on to spend years following him, learning from him. And how did it it work out? Uh, How did his disciples go at living out this mission? 
Well, if you've read the Gospels before, you know the answer. They failed. You see, when the going got tough, when the pressure was on, they all folded. When Jesus was arrested by the authorities, his disciples ran. Even Peter, the most enthusiastic of them all, failed. When people said to him, are you with Jesus? He didn't say, yes, let me tell you about the light of the world. He said, no. He denied it. He hid his light. Because it takes more than a sermon to transform Jesus' followers so that they can shine like lights. It only happens through the cross, doesn't it? It's only when Jesus' followers meet the risen Lord Jesus that they understand their sins have been forgiven. It's only then that they realize the shadow of death has been overcome. And only then do they receive the Holy Spirit and get new hearts. Friends, that's how a bunch of peasants from Galilee turned the world upside down. Because they understood what Jesus had done for them on the cross and their lives shone with the brightness of it. You see, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, it's really easy to think we just need to try harder. But we're always going to fail like the disciples. And Jesus knew that when he spoke these words. That's why he came to die on the cross. You see, we need the light of God's forgiveness in our hearts first before we can show the world the light of Christ in our lives. We need to be transformed by the cross. So we've seen the mission, we've seen the transformation, now we need to consider the challenge. Because this is not an easy mission. Uh, Yes, Jesus says, some people will see the light of our lives and they'll love it. They'll be drawn to Christ. They'll see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Uh, John Stott puts it this way. How wonderful it would be if non-Christians, curious to discover the secret and source of our light, were to come up to us and ask, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Uh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Sounds, sounds nice. But some people are also going to hate the light. Uh, just as people hated Jesus and his followers and opposed them, some will hate us. You can see it in verses 11 to 12. Jesus has just warned his followers that people will insult them and mock them. People will slander them and dislike them. And it's because our light will expose the darkness. It's not an easy mission that Jesus is giving his followers and us to live out. And so the challenge is that we don't lose our saltiness and we don't hide our light. Instead, the challenge is to keep living godly lives in such a way that people don't praise us, but they praise God. So as we finish up, uh, take a moment to think about this. Where has God placed you to live out this mission? Uh, What communities are you part of? Who are the people you see each week and have relationship with? Maybe it's your work colleagues or your family, your friends or your neighbours. Where has God placed you? 
And what would it look like for you to be salt and light in those relationships to those people? Uh, What would it look like for you to be doing good in such a way, loving others in such a way, that people see the light of Christ in your life and are drawn to him? Friends, this will look different for all of us. But whether you're young or old, uh, single or married, Jesus has a mission for us. Uh, You might not feel like it sitting here this morning, but if you follow Jesus, you are the salt and light of the world. And people living in darkness, under the shadow of death, need the light. So let your light shine. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you haven't left us in darkness. We thank you for your Son, uh, the great light of the world, who came to redeem us and rescue us. We pray, Father, that you might fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit so that we can live out this incredible mission to show your light in our lives. Help us to live differently and let our light be visible, uh, even when people mock us and pressure us. Uh, Fill us with your light so that we might shine. In Jesus' name, amen.